Real quick, I gotta let you in on a testing secret. With regulations and breaches on the rise, production data is no longer safe or legal for developers to use. And creating test data in-house is a complex chore that eats away valuable time. That's where Tonic comes in. They make it possible to create a true mirror of production by safely and realistically mimicking production data. So you can work on real product and steer clear of surprises at release time. Learn more at tonic.ai slash code story. We came in with a growth mindset, and I know that's a bit of an overused term, but we said, look, there's an opportunity to grow this business, not only globally, but specifically in North America. So we've got to change how we do things. Number one was define what are our goals? What do we want to do? What's the culture we want to have? And then some people self-selected out, some people we had to non-self-select out. The biggest thing was I needed people that understood what a growth-oriented company looks like. And it's not just grow for the sake of growing, but growth-oriented means you have to understand how all the pieces need to work together. My name is Andrew Call, and I'm the CEO of Backbox Software. This is Code Story. A podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Snow Labhart, and today, how Andrew Call took over the reins to take a successful business to the next level, centered around networking automation. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Terso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Andrew Call has spent 30 years in tech. He graduated in 1992 and actually accidentally entered the industry when he came across a job posting for Compact. He's been in tech ever since, all around the building of things. But outside of tech, he's married with two daughters, one of which he just sent to college and one in high school. Alongside of that, they have three overly energetic German Shepherds. Andrew was part of a private equity group which acquired Backbox in late 2021. He stepped in as CEO, maintaining the technology team in Israel and bringing the go-to-market team to the U.S. Taking over a fantastic product, Andrew set his sights on growing the company. This is the creation story of Backbox. So Backbox, a great company. We've been around for uh, just about 10 years. We do network automation, 
And I know that automation is a broad topic, but specifically what we're doing is we're automating the process to uh, ensure all the devices that connect to a corporate network are connected, compliant, all their vulnerabilities are patched, so they stay up and running. Now that's just a part of what we do, but the best way that I explain it, so if you've got a network in your house, you've probably got, I think I read an article that the average homeowner has roughly 20 different devices connected to their network. It might be their TV, their ring cameras, their laptop. If your network goes down and then you've got to reconnect all your devices, that takes time. That's time consuming, that's manually intensive. More importantly, you want to make sure that your neighbors or some nefarious characters not parked in front of your house getting on your network. Think about that from the scale of an enterprise where you've got maybe multiple networks running and hundreds if not thousands of devices connecting, making sure that they're up and running and compliant and that if the network goes down, you can bring it back up in the way it was configured, making sure that all those devices have their operating systems patched and vulnerabilities addressed. That's what we do. We don't do it for the consumer. I just use that as an example. We do it for the enterprise at scale. And it's a tremendous problem that's out there today. So that's, that's what Backbox does. I've been CEO now for two years and, and a month or so, but the company was founded in Israel. The private equity firm that I've been working with for many years saw an opportunity, and so we decided to make the acquisition. We still have the engineering team in Israel, but we've moved our go-to-market and our corporate headquarters here to Dallas, Texas, which is where I live. And so we are now expanding our presence in North America. We're continuing the technology team in Israel, and the company is starting to grow significantly. A lot of greenfield opportunity, especially within the North American market where we're focused right now. Okay, so this will be interesting, my next question. I tend to ask, tell me about the MVP, that first version of the product. So this might be the MVP version of the company, right? When you stepped in, when it, when it was acquired, tell me about that when you stepped in and started to grow the company. W what sort of approaches did you take and how did you go about making it successful? There was a good product. And again, the heritage of the company was really backup and recovery, meaning the backup and recovery of networks. Automation started to come into play a few years after that. So we knew we had a good product. One of the things that we really loved or that I got excited about with this company is the absolute customer loyalty and the solid product that they have. Very rarely do you come across an early stage company that has the amount of loyalty and retention that the Backbox did when we stepped in. And so that was really exciting. And when companies, we would talk to them during the due diligence phase and they're like, we love the product, we love the service levels. For a company that's so small, we've never seen this before. And the service level is better than some of the large enterprise vendors that they use. And I thought to myself, boy, we're really onto something here. And so when you've got a great product and you've got a company and a culture that really cares about taking care of those customers, it makes the building process a lot easier to do. You're not fixing inherent issues with the product. You're not fixing customer attention issues or, or poor customer satisfaction issues. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? 
For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. So then you've got you've got the company, you acquire Backbox, you step in, you're going to run it, you've got a great team, keeping the engineering team in Israel, go to market in the U.S. How are you progressing and maturing the company and the product? And I think to kind of wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how did you go about building your roadmap? And how did you decide this is the next most important thing to address with Backbox? We got really lucky here. Where I knew we needed to apply pressure was high quality product, high service level, very little go-to-market motion. And when I say little go-to-market motion, there was no marketing department here at all. There was no SEO search, no lead generation. The company really would just go to one, maybe two large events per year, get leads, walk up physical leads from people, and then work off of those all year long. But So there was no consistent demand gen engine. And in order to grow, obviously, we need customers. So one of the first things we did was start to build out what is that go-to-market motion going to look like? What's our marketing plan? Where do we want to attack? What regions? What's our messaging? And then you've got to think about how do we build out a sales team? So we started to build out a sales organization. We had one person in North America. And so we built out an entire North American sales team. Doesn't mean we took our eye off the ball with regards to the product. We still worked on scalability and making it more and more solid. But most of the time, most of the investment was really on that go-to-market engine. So you said you kept the team, you loved the team that was there since the beginning, and that's fantastic. How did you go about building the team from there or even modifying the team? And I think I'm curious about, you know, what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Don't get me wrong, we did have to make some changes with personnel. That's natural. You go from two co-founders who were running it as a family business who were very involved and the team was built really after their culture. We came in with a growth mindset, and I know that's a bit of an overused term, but we said, look, there's an opportunity to grow this business, not only globally, but specifically in North America. So we've got to change how we do things. Number one was define what are our goals? What do we want to do? What's the culture we want to have? And then some people self-selected out, some people we had to non-self-select out. 
the biggest thing was I needed people that understood what a growth-oriented company looks like. And it's not just grow for the sake of growing, but growth-oriented means you have to understand how all the pieces need to work together, how marketing needs to engage with product marketing or product management, how product management needs to engage with the engineering team, how the engineering and product management need to engage with sales. And so there was a lot of puzzle piecing that I had to do, if you will, to help folks understand that it's not just build something and grab any customer you can, we have to have a process here. And that process was one of the biggest hurdles that we had to overcome. And once folks got on board and saw, okay, we've got the right people, we have a process in place, then things started to click. But it took about a year for that to happen before we really started to see that that flywheel start spinning. And so that's really what it was, getting people to buy into not only the vision, but the specific goals and understanding how collaboration works and how all the different functions in a company need to tie together and the dependencies therein. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With the developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, CastAI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. Let's flip to scalability then. And this will be interesting because you're coming into the company with a growth mindset. So you're looking to grow this from more of a family business into something that's going to you know, explode and be hyper awesome. There's technology scale there, of course, to, to think about the product, but there's also organizational scale. Talk to me about how you approach that and if there were any points of tension that you had to sort of fight it as you grew. We've doubled headcount since we acquired the company. The growth has largely, as I said, been in sales, been in marketing. The tension really was around getting rid of the thought process of this is how we've always done it or this is how we did it in the past. That was a big challenge. And again, I respect what was built, but I needed people to understand that, okay, in order to scale, we have to start thinking this way. We have to reposition, whether it's going directly after our competitors, whether it's aligning with the right partners to help us scale. The biggest challenge, Noah, was just getting folks to understand that we're no longer in the, this is how we've always done it mindset. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built at Backbox, what are you most proud of? 
it's like when you're a parent, you're proud of all the little things in an aggregate. You're proud of what you've built in aggregate. I want to be careful that if I call something out, I don't diminish my pride in other areas. But I think what I'm most proud of is I'm proud of how this team has come together in 2023 with all the elements, all the ingredients, and they're and we're clicking. Last year we had some successes, we won some big deals, and we celebrated those. But we were still tripping on ourselves. This year we had a sales kickoff. We got the team together in person, and Noah, it was almost magical in a way because it clicked. We had our new sales team. We had our messaging down. We had the chance to bond over a beer together and coffee in the morning, and people just—it's like they realized, holy cow, I see where we're going. I don't want to speak in too much nuance or euphemisms here, but the culture that we've now built is something that I'm probably most proud of this, especially this year, because that culture is one that is focused on growth and execution. One of my favorite professors from business school always taught strategy classes, and he always used to say, "People are not a strategic advantage," and I don't necessarily disagree with him. But you still have to have the right people. You've got to have, and you've got to have good product, and you've got to have good messaging. The right people are an important element to execute the strategy that you put in place. But if a culture is wrong, if people don't align together, if they don't align with the mission, if they just don't like each other, it's going to be really hard to be successful. And we've been really fortunate with the leadership team, with the original veterans that have been here, and the new folks that have come on board. This is probably the second time in my career where I've felt I'm really lucky to be part of a truly special culture that can do some great things. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Misapplying some investments. When we bought the company, we put some cash on the balance sheet, growth capital, which we needed to do. And you, you've got to figure out how to apply that in various areas. And I think I mentioned earlier that you know, we needed to focus on go-to-market, specifically our messaging and our branding. We didn't have our messaging. Nailed down properly yet. We didn't necessarily understand who we were selling against and who we were selling to, and more importantly, what were the key search words that our buyers wanted. And so we spent a lot of money very early on in paid search words and, and, and Google-based advertising. I don't remember the exact dollar amount, and probably wouldn't want to share it on the show. It took us a while to step back and realize that hey, this is a mistake, and you burn every dollar counts in, a, in an early-stage company. The way that we course corrected, we said, "Let's. We've absolutely got to pause. We've got to go talk to our customers, understand why they're buying, what are the things that are important from them, and start to build that into our messaging." And after we did that, we were able to get the right flow and the right results that we wanted from our marketing efforts. But early on, we poured a lot of money into the wrong areas of marketing. This will be fun to ask. So, what does the future look like for Backbox, the product, and for your team? I get excited about that because for the product, I want us to be really a network automation platform. I want us to help facilitate the ease of which companies can manage their IT infrastructure. If you think about managing the network and, and ensuring that the devices are compliant and connected, people say that data is the lifeblood of the company, and I don't disagree. But the network's the backbone, and if the network goes down, then the data can't flow, and they have to work. They have to work in concert together. So if we can be a platform, if we can be one of the most important elements of an IT infrastructure, whereby everything feeds off of us, you can see your devices when they're compliant, when they're at risk. You're able to have APIs that align. With other、uh, critical infrastructure systems and tools, that's what I would love to see. 
So let's switch to you, Andrew. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something that you look up to and why. I'll give you a couple. One's going to sound kind of cheesy. So I'm an old school comic book guy. A lot of people don't know that. Captain America was one of my favorite comic books growing up. And, and I grew up in the silver age of comic books. So that was the 70s. And Captain America is just one of those guys that always does the right thing, maybe to a fault. And so doing the right thing is something that I've always aired towards. Now, I got, I was influenced by my parents and grandparents. Captain America is somebody that I think people try and emulate today. And I think it still sets a good example. So that's a silly answer. Gentleman that really has influenced me is somebody that I worked with and indirectly for at the midpoint in my career, a gentleman named Tom Mendoza, vice chairman of NetApp and successful company. He was there the very, very early days. Tom Mendoza is a, a salt of the earth person. He always has good advice. He actually does some things called Tom Mendoza Talks. You could probably find those on YouTube if you want. He's somebody that I've looked to and how he has built his career. More importantly, how he has treated people. And because at the end of the day, business is a people-centered business and you need people to get on board with you, your vision, your mission, and you need people to execute, you need people to help you when times are tough. And watching and learning from Tom and, and the lessons that, that he shared from his time growing companies, he's been very influential. He probably doesn't know that, I guess he will now if he hears that, but I know he's impacted lots of people over the years. So we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? It doesn't have to be you know, something that went wrong. could have went well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. So I would have made some decisions faster. You inherit a company and I wanted to respect what was built. I probably would have made some decisions to make some changes faster. In fact, I know I would have. So if I could go back in time, I, maybe I would have accelerated things. And, and maybe I'm, we're talking about a time frame of three to six months, but make some hard decisions faster, whether it was related to investment or people or strategic direction. It's easy to say that in hindsight, but you know, those are the things that, that I know I, I definitively would have done. Last question, Andrew. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person? Having gone down this road a bit. Surround yourself with people that can help you in various ways. You cannot do this alone. I don't care who you are, you cannot do it alone. You could be the next coming of Steve Jobs, Einstein, all rolled up into one. You can't build something alone. So I'd say, tell me about your idea. What problem are you trying to solve? Is the problem you're trying to solve one that customers have or one that you have, a problem that you think they have? And then get people around you, advisors, employees, peers, mentors that can guide you through this process because you're going to need it. That would probably be the number. And I know that may sound surface level, but I think back to all the initiatives that I started early on. Even today, we've got advisors that are helping me as we grow this company. We've got a board of directors that I sit on that helps me with this company. No matter how seasoned or how experienced you are, you, you've got to have a group of people, like-minded individuals that have your best interests at heart that can help you along the way. That's powerful advice. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, Andrew, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for telling the creation story of Backbox. You're welcome. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. 
And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.